0: I invite you to make your way to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11 and verse 5. Our message today is going to be from verses 5 through 13, how to approach God in prayer. There's a researcher by the name of Janae Benson, who is a professor in economics at the University of Copenhagen and also the director for the Association of the Study of Religion, Economics, and Culture, who published a paper this year entitled, In Crisis We Pray, Religiosity and the COVID-19 Pandemic. The researcher analyzed internet searches for prayer in 75 countries, starting from the time of the onset of the pandemic and then tracking it for some time after. And what was found was that for every 80,000 new registered cases, around the world, searches for prayer doubled and continued to skyrocket after that. The researcher posited that it's likely that the rise of prayer intensity will continue. Now, why is it that many people who presumably are not believers or or at least not followers of Jesus in that regard would search for prayer and be so hungry for the things that are spiritual when there's a concern with the things in this life. I think it's a very simple reason. I think it's because God has written eternity on the hearts of people. There's an understanding deep down in the soul that there is something more, that there's something outside of us, that there is someone more powerful than us. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11 says God has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also said eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. In the first four verses of Luke 11, we learn from the teaching of Jesus how to pray. I gave you a very basic definition of prayer in that it is talking to and listening to. To God. It's the way that God has designed for us to communicate with him. Jesus taught on prayer to provide us a pattern for praying, and one of the clearest indicators of our spiritual health is our relationship with God in our prayer lives. The depths of our relationship with God are going to be revealed to us in how we pray and the things that we pray about. Prayer is directed toward heaven, and we address God as our Father, and He is holy. This Holy Father invites us into His presence to come near to know Him. And as we come to God as our Holy Father, we recognize that prayer makes a difference in what happens on this earth. So we are praying for the kingdom of God to come on the earth. And we learn to pray kingdom prayer specifically as we learn to pray the word of God. And we pray for the will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God's will is done in heaven immediately and with joy and in completeness. As we pray, God changes our hearts. And he changes our hearts when we bring our needs to him and he provides And we learn to trust him even more. Our attention is now turned to an illustration of prayer in these verses before us. From the illustration, we learn how to approach God in prayer. There's actually no break in the thought from verse 4 to verse 5. Jesus is building on the foundation of the Lord's Prayer. But as wonderful and complete as the outline for the Lord's Prayer is, there remain some unanswered questions regarding how to pray as we approach God. I begin reading in Luke chapter 11 and verse 5. The Bible says, And Jesus said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The first principle that we learn here of how to approach God in prayer is that we are to pray with boldness. We're to pray with boldness. Now, the first story or parable that we find, beginning in verse five, might have been a common situation in Jesus' day in that culture. It's found only in Luke's gospel. A man has a friend arrive at his home at midnight and he has no bread to offer him. The sense of hospitality and the need for it in those days was exponentially more important even than it is for us today. One loaf would have been enough for him to eat, but three loaves would have shown that he desired to serve his guest, his friend, well. Bread was an essential part of their diet, They would have shown significant hospitality to one another. At the meal, they would take the bread and break off chunks of it and dip it into the other dishes that they were eating. And we have this account happening at midnight, according to verse 5. Now, this is a bit of an aside, but it's one that I find interesting. Uh, Every time midnight is referenced in the Bible there's some kind of deliverance that is taking place. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but a lot of things happened at midnight in the Bible. At midnight, God passed through Egypt in the Passover, a picture of redemption. At midnight, Samson took the gates of the city of Gaza and the two posts and carried them on his shoulders to the top of the hill before Hebron. It was at midnight that Ruth came to the threshing floor to the feet of Boaz. When taught to understand God's righteous judgments, the psalmist David said, At midnight I will rise and give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. The midnight cry is referenced uh, in the second coming of Jesus. It was at midnight that the Lord brought an earthquake and broke open those prison doors at Philippi. There are a lot of interesting things that happened in the Bible at midnight. So back to our story. The man goes to his friend at midnight. You couldn't run to Kroger or to Walmart in those days and easily pick up a loaf of bread. Remember, cultural hospitality would have required for you to serve your guest, to give him something to eat. So the man goes to his friend's house to get some bread. Now, when he got there, the family would have been asleep in a small house. The children would have been there with them. Possibly they've even brought in some of the animals from the night. So he knocks on the door to get the attention, and the man answers from within the house. And essentially his answer is, hey, stop bothering me. The door is shut. My kids are in bed. I cannot rise and give you what you need. But the conclusion is, the man will specifically rise and give him what he needs on the basis of his boldness or persistence in asking. That's why he responds. In contrast with a man who would not want to be bothered and even still answer the request that is brought before him, God as our Father is inviting us to come and to bother him. He is welcoming us to come with boldness into his presence and look to him to provide For our needs. Now, this word in verse 8 for persistence, meaning boldness, also carried a negative meaning in the ancient literature. It was referred to at times as shamelessness. Now, shamelessness does not typically denote a good quality, but it can actually be good or bad depending on the circumstance. We pray with boldness, with a shamelessness as we come before the Lord on the basis of an established relationship. In the parable, the man doesn't respond because of the relationship, but in our prayers, God directly responds to us because he is our father and we are his children. And he tells us to come boldly and with confidence. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We pray with boldness communicating our needs. The man needed to provide for his guest. He didn't have what he needed, so he went and he asked for it. And specifically, it was his persistence that gained an answer. It was his boldness in going that gained an answer. We pray with boldness knowing that God never sleeps. He's never going to fail to answer the door. He's never going to fail to respond to one of his children. So therefore, we come to him with this boldness in our prayers. And then the second principle is that we pray with requests. We pray with requests. Now our attention moves to verses 9 and 10. Building on the parable, Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. The idea is to keep on praying while we understand that God doesn't answer according to our timetable. We are bound up in time. God is outside of time. What may seem like a long time to us, in reality, is a short time to God. And we pray trusting that he knows the timetable best. I love the way Matthew Henry put this in his commentary. He said, the way that God has appointed for us to experience assurance and nearness to him in this life is by communing with him in prayer. If you're not communion with Him in prayer, you will lack assurance and a sense of relationship and fellowship and the communion that God wants you to have. The words of Jesus teach us to pray, to pray often, to pray with sincerity, and to pray with seriousness, to pray and pray again, to be constant in prayer, to make a business of prayer, and to be earnest in prayer. So, what Jesus does here is He gives us a threefold exhortation to pray. All three words point in the same direction. With each of these words, the Lord is impressing upon us the privilege and the responsibility of prayer. And I think there's an ascending order uh, of emphasis in this part of the prayer. We are to ask, but more than that, we are to seek. We are to seek, but more than that, we are to not. Each of these words tells us something about prayer, especially in the sense that they are commands. Ask, and it will be given to you, for everyone who asks, receives. Take your requests to God and present those to Him. He knows your need before you even pray it, but yet He answers according to His will in what's best for us. Jesus said in John 16 and verse 24, until now you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. 1 John 5 and verse 15 says, And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. When you ask, it is because you recognize your lack, you see your need, and you come to God for help. The word for asking is the same word that was used for a beggar who would ask for alms or that would ask for assistance. So there's a an idea here of being absolutely destitute on your own of the things that truly matter. And you're approaching God with this attitude of humility, believing that he's going to hear your request. It's also the same word that was used For pleading before a judge. To ask is to plead. And then he says, seek and you will find. He who seeks, finds. To seek is the same word we would use for a search. So we're looking for something. There's an urgency about it because we need to find it. And we're looking with all of the energy that we have. And what we're doing here is not just seeking an answer to our prayers. But we are seeking the very face of God. And this is where the two intersect. As you seek and ask for God to answer your request, you are coming near to Him and you're knowing Him better through it. And looking for something that we need to find is what's in view. Psalm 27 and verse 8 says, When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, Lord, will I seek? Same idea. Isaiah 55 and verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found, and call on him while he is near. Seeking is following after God, and it's also looking for how God may answer what you've asked. Jesus says, knock, and it will be open to you. To him who knocks, it will be opened. Knock is the word we would use not for a light, slight, tap on the door but rather for a loud banging and pounding on the door kind of like if i arrive home and i don't have my key with me and something uh, for some reason someone has locked the door and they're in the very back of the house i'm not tapping on the door hey somebody come to the door and let me in oh no I'm pounding on that door because I want them to hear to the very back corner and come and open that door for me. This is the picture that we get of what it means to knock in prayer. After you've asked, you begin to seek for ways that God is going to answer, and then you knock, how? With persistence. What are you going to do if nobody comes to the door? You're going to keep on knocking, and you're going to keep on knocking because you're looking for the Lord to answer your prayer. And persistence in prayer is one of the keys to prayer. It allows us to hold on and to continue to wait for God. God uses prayer to test your strength, to build your confidence in Him, and to make you stronger. You see, if Elijah had stopped with his first petition, the heavens would not have yielded rain. If Jacob had quit praying rather than wrestling with God, he might not have made it through the meeting the next day with Esau. If the Syrophoenician woman had allowed her faith to be only a faint silence, her grief-stricken home would never have seen the healing of her child. The call is to have confidence in God. Now watch this. Ask, and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Is this not how Jesus prayed on the night that he was preparing to choose his disciples? Is this not how Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane when there was sweat dropping from his face as drops of blood falling to the ground? There is an increasing intensity in view as we ask, seek, and knock. And now for the third principle. We are to pray in with faith. We are to pray with faith. And our focus moves now to verses 11 through 13. This is what is referred to as an argument from the lesser to the greater. It is based on the assumption that if A is true, then B must be true even more so. The argument begins with the fact, uh, the underlying idea, that even sinful fathers desire to do good by their children. We want to do good by our children and provide for them what they need. And if a sinful father or an evil father, as is referred to, here desires to do that how much more does the heavenly father desire to do that this is an extreme example that almost sounds horrible when you first read it uh, daddy can i have some some bread and father says sure son and he hands him a stone can i have a fish for lunch sure son and he gives him a serpent instead of a fish hey father Can I have an egg? Absolutely. And when he lifts it to his mouth, it's a scorpion. Jesus is using this extreme and absurd example to show us that not even sinful fathers, even the worst of earthly fathers, would think such a thing was good. A good father wants to give good gifts to his children and provide what is good for him. So when we pray and we have in view that argument from the lesser to the greater, that if an earthly father will do all these good things for you, then how much more is a heavenly father going to provide for you? And in that, you're going to pray with faith. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. James chapter one in verse five and six, says, "If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith without doubting." You See, I believe even faith is a gift from God. A life of faith is experienced through a life of surrender. And I think today a lot of people are falsely taught that if they have faith, they're always going to land the high-paying job. They're always going to have or eventually have their dream house. They're going to have perpetual health, and they're going to be physical and material blessings along the way. All they have to do is ask regardless of what their motivations are. But this type of view presumes upon the grace of God. And it turns into us naming and claiming things with the wrong motives. We have to understand, while we pray in faith, that we also want our motives to line up with what God's plan is for our lives and what His will is for our actions. And as we pray, we want to be submitting ourselves to Him so that He can take away those selfish motivations And in doing so, he gives us the desires of our heart. But the desires of our hearts are consistent with what is good in his plan for us. Now, I believe that we serve a sovereign God who is the ultimate judge of what is good for us. He is the holy and sovereign God who always does what is best. And that explains why not all prayers are answered in the affirmative. Maybe it would be worse for us If we had all of our prayers answered in the affirmative, maybe we would become more selfish rather than less selfish. Maybe we would have less faith rather than more faith. I love the way John Piper put it. He said, God is infinitely strong and can do all that he pleases. And he is infinitely righteous so that he only does what is right. And he is infinitely good so that everything he does is perfectly good. And he is infinitely wise so that he always knows perfectly what is right and good. And he is infinitely loving, so that in all his strength and righteousness and goodness and wisdom, he raises the eternal joy of his loved ones as high as it can be raised. When you pause to consider this, then the lavish invitations of this God to ask for good things with the promise that he will give them is unimaginably wonderful. This is the blessing. And I would encourage you also, because we all struggle with doubt, every one of us, at one time or the other in our lives, or perhaps even periodically in our lives, even desiring to pray with faith, that doubt creeps in. And we wonder, God, why have you not answered yet? Or why did you say no? Or why did you answer in this way? And the mystery sort of overcomes us. So what I would encourage you to do in that regard is you just bring your doubts before the Lord just as you do your request. He already knows what's on your heart. And if you're struggling with doubt when you pray, you can specifically pray to the Father and say, Father, I want to pray this in faith, but I'm struggling with doubt right now. And I know that anything that I do that is not from faith is sin. And I know that your will for my life is that I would overcome sin in Christ. So help me to be freed from the doubt... So that I can pray in faith. Now I want you to notice here in verse 13 that the ultimate gift that is referenced is the Holy Spirit. The eternal presence of God in you. Jesus promised in John 14 and verse 15 and following, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper and that he will abide with you forever the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. And then Jesus made this promise to his disciples. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Now don't miss this. This may be the most important thing that I say in this message today. When we pray, we not only receive an answer from God, But we are promised the very presence of God. And the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is the greatest possible gift of all. Let's think about the role and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we come in repentance and faith and we begin to follow Jesus, at that moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit regenerates us and gives us new life because of the finished work of Jesus. He seals us as the down payment uh, of our salvation, and he secures us in Christ. At that moment, I believe he also gives us spiritual gifts with which we will serve God, and he indwells us as believers, meaning that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God comes and indwells your life never to leave you again. And his role is to always glorify the Lord Jesus. And we can quench the Holy Spirit and grieve the Holy Spirit with sin in our lives. But when we come to him with surrender, then that gift is the promise of God's presence in our lives, according to verse 13. So here's the point. The object of our faith is not our faith. The object of our faith is, is God Himself. And when we fail to pray in faith, we are failing to pray in the power of what God has done on our behalf. But when we pray with faith, it impacts how we see the world and what we hope for in this life. So we begin to ask questions like Where is God taking me in His plan for His kingdom? Where is God guiding our church? I'm thankful for what God has already done because that builds my confidence in Him. But I'm even more looking toward what God is going to continue to do. And it's in our service to God and His kingdom that we know God's will, that we see people come into the family of God, and we are blessed to be a part of His work. I want to encourage you to pray with faith. As I come toward the close of this message, I want to share this illustration with you, and then we're going to conclude. There's an old song that was written in the 1800s that many of you know, entitled Sweet Hour of Prayer. The text reportedly comes from a man by the name of William Walford, who was an obscure blind lay preacher who served in England in the 19th century. He owned a small trinket shop in the village that he lived in. He had a congregational minister who was a friend of his by the name of Thomas Salmon. Who stopped by Walford's shop one day in 1842? Walford asked if Salmon would write down his new poem on the subject of prayer, and he did. Three years later, Salmon was in the United States, and he showed this poem to the editor of the New York Observer, who then printed it in the September 13, 1845 edition. The song first appeared in the 1859 Baptist hymnal entitled Church Melodies, edited by Thomas Hastings and Robert Turnbull. It was William Bradford who put the music to it, and it became a staple hymn around the world. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, that calls me from a world of care, and bids me at my Father's throne, make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief and oft escape the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. Let's bow our heads together just for a moment. I want to pray, and then after I pray, we're going to sing the first stanza with the chorus of sweet hour of prayer as our benediction song. But I wonder as you think about this message and these principles that Jesus has given to us, in the importance of asking, seeking, and knocking, and doing so with a spirit of persistence and a heart of faith, where are you at in your prayer life with God? Are you praying in such a way that it honors King Jesus in your life? If you're not, today could be a fresh start for you in your devotional life. Maybe you're not praying without ceasing, and maybe you're not sensing that nearness, to God, If you're not sensing a nearness to God, it's not God who's moved. It's you that have moved in your life. Would you draw near to him as a follower of Jesus? Would you bring all your prayers, your praises, your burdens, your concerns to the very throne of God? Do you realize, child of God, what a privilege it is to come before the God of all the universe and pray? God is with us in us and working through us by faith we ask him to grow you deeper into your relationship with him maybe you're not a follower of jesus and whether you're hearing this message live now or you're watching it online or maybe you're going to listen to it later on and god would just touch your heart and you would have to say if you're honest i've never met jesus i know about him But I've never repented and believed. I've never become a child of God by faith. You see, Jesus came to this world and he lived and he died and he now lives again. And he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he extends an invitation to you to believe, to trust in him, to know that he is the only way to salvation. If you only come and follow him, he'll save your soul and he'll set you on a path of purpose for the glory of God. Will you trust Him now in this moment and come and follow Jesus? God, what a privilege it is that we can bow like this together as the collective gathered body of Christ and be reminded of what a great privilege it is to ask and seek and knock. Father, may we have exactly what You want us to have and not a bit more or a bit less. May we do exactly what you want us to do, not too late and not too early, but at just the right time. And may our heart's desires align with your will, because God, you are the sovereign king over all of eternity, and you can be trusted. And we trust you, Father, and we love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.